0: What time is it? 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 26 verses 37. Very familiar passage of scripture and we're going to look at 1 Samuel 17:26 26-37 said this, And David said to, this, to, to, to the men who stood by, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, talking about Goliath, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those little sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? Another translation says, can I not say anything? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Saul is the king, let no man heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. David saying, I will go fight Philistine. Goliath and Saul said to David you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight for him for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth but David said to Saul your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or bear and took the lamb from the flock I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Three things this morning to talk about bold dreams for Jesus. Number one, dreams of delight. I don't know why Pastor Seth was in my sermon this morning, stealing my thunder. (laughs) The verse he read is the verse that's in our text, our first point, dreams of delight. Number two, DMing Saul and Goliath. Number three, moving forward, let's pray. Father, thank you that the interest of your word brings light. Thank you that you have already met us here. God, thank you for the strength to stand, having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Thank you that you have positioned us to hear your word. And God, I pray now that your word will transform hearts and minds. I pray that your word will meet us where we are, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened uh, because of your word coming into our hearts. Lord, use me as your vessel, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Talk about dreams of delight. Here's our premise, don't forget it. How do I know my dreams are for my king? Let me read, hear this scripture again that Pastor Seth read. Psalms 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the David that writes Psalm 37 is different from the David that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 17. David in Psalms 37 is older. It's more seasoned. He's an old man at this stage. And he's writing uh, with the privilege of reflection. He's able to look back. And see what God has done. And he's writing this as an encouragement for us. All scripture is God breathed. So he's writing this to encourage us in 2020. Here's what David starts off saying. Don't worry or don't be jealous or don't be envious of the ungodly. Can I pause and say, if your dream is built off competition, cancel it in Jesus' name. If you want something because they got something, cancel that. They got a house. I want a house. Cancel that. They got kids. We got to have kids. Cancel that. That's that's foolish. The Bible says run the race that is set before you. So I can't plan based on the people around me. I got to get before God and see what he says. So David's encouraging him in verses 1 and 2. Don't worry about the ungodly. But instead, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's how many of us read this. And he will give you, well, the desires of your heart. I'm just believing God for stuff, and He heard my prayer. He know my desire. God love me. He know what I want. Let's read the text. Before we get to desire, we got to get to delight. Somebody say delight. What does it mean? What is this idea of delighting in the Lord? What does this mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. It's not selfish ambition. It's it's not not trying to impress other people with my dream. It's it's about my calling and my impact. So because of that, I'm going to delight in the Lord. I am going to make him my affections. Now, before we are believers, we don't delight in the Lord. Before we are believers, we don't even have a desire to delight in the Lord. It's because God, hear the term, rescues us. He rescues us and gives us a heart that wants to pursue him. That's a, that's a gift. If you say, man, I just really, I really feel the need to pray. You didn't have that before you were saved. You had other needs you felt like doing. You had other stuff you were chasing. I feel like cussing people out, and you just cussed them out. You slap me, I slap you back. Nothing to think about. But when we are rescued by Jesus, our affections change. He changes our hearts, and now we long to please him. And what that does is it brings conflict with these other affections that I have. You you know what I wish. I wish when God saved me and gave me a desire for him, I wish he would take out all the other desires. Anybody else? I, 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 I wish when he put a desire to seek him in me that he would have taken all of the other desires out, but he did not do that. Why? Because he's in a process of making me look more like him. He's in the process of growing me up, and you can't grow up without conflict. So what he does is he puts a desire for him in there, and he doesn't take away the desires of your flesh. But what he does is he gives you power. Somebody say power. He gives you power over your flesh. So now there's this war, there's this contention, there's this fighting between your spirit and your flesh. And the aim is who's going to get the delight? There's conflict between the flesh and the spirit. This is why in Colossians 3, he says, I'm calling you to mortify, to kill the desires of the flesh. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. In other words, I am a mess. Who's going to help me? I don't know if it's too early in the year for you to confess Even though the clock strike 12 on December 31st, it became January 1st, truth be told, you're still messy. Okay, I'm sorry, it's too early in the year, I'll talk to you in April. Uh, But there's still this contention. And your job and my job is to make sure we are bringing every day with what we have, our flesh under subjection. It's, it's us taking the desire. That's what fasting is. It's, man, I want steak and, and, and meat and wings and jerk wings, but I am bringing my flesh under subjection. Yeah. Bringing it under, not under, under subjection. Why? Because God's rescued my heart, and he's given me a desire for him. So now I gotta take the desire that he gave me and delight. Watch this. We're moving from desire to delight. First desire is the one he gave us. Don't miss that. I'm given the desire that he gave me to seek him, and I'm gonna delight. I'm gonna make it awesome to think about him. Man, I get to pray. What a delight! Oh, there's an opportunity for worship. I get to worship with the people of God. What a delight. Until things like prayer and fasting and Bible reading and Bible memorization and fellowshipping with the body and, 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 and laying before him to just see what he says and, 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 and being taken by just being in his presence and asking him to fill you with his spirit. Until those things become a delight for you, your desires will be off. Let's go again. He gives me a desire, and then he tells me, I gave you a desire, delight in me. Now once you delight in him, here's what he does. He changes your other desires. In other words, what you delight in informs what your desires are. Show me a person that is struggling with sin, and I'll show you someone that is delighting in evil. What's your delight? And So as we quote Psalms 37 verse 4, delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Understand that your, your, your delight is forming your desires. And David is a great case study for that. Because David is a person prior to Goliath that lives this life of delight in Jesus, not perfectly. But he lives this life, rather, of delighting in God. I want to give a little bit of backdrop of David. David is a young man. He's, 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 he, he's a young man who lives in a house with many brothers. If you grew up with many brothers, you know brothers compete. That's just, a, it is what it is. Brothers are competitive. And David is the youngest brother. He's, he's the weakest brother. He's the slowest brother. And he's, he's so much down the tadpole line that when Samuel comes to the house to ordain the next king, his father, David's father, does not even bring him in the house when Samuel asks for his sons. David is forgotten. David is in the background. David is tending, as his brother says in the text, to them few little sheep. He is insignificant. He is obscured. And here's what I want to say to someone who feels that way that is a gift. For someone that feels called and then feels like they're insignificant, that is a gift because it's time for you to work on what God's called you to do without the pressure to perform. It's don't miss the times in the backyard. I remember being a kid in the summer, board is all get out. Ma, I want to do something. Ma, I want to do something. Mom, wanna... And she'll say, Boy, go in the backyard. The backyard was that place where it's get out of my face. <laughs> go do something. What am I going to do? Go do something. And Ain't nothing back. There ain't no toys back there. Go do something in the backyard. There's nobody in the backyard. There's no crowds in the backyard. There's no stage in the backyard. There's no microphone in the backyard. There's no responsibility in the backyard. Ain't nobody counting on you in the backyard. Be, be, be careful that you don't rain on the parade of your obscurity because in your obscurity God can be forming and shaping and crafting and making you into all that he wants you to be. It's your backyard. Don't despair. Well, I just ain't got nothing going on in my life. Well, work on what you need to be working on until something's going on. Preaching is an easy example. Don't wait for the platform. Go in the backyard and preach to the trees like they were congregations. Go, go, go practice on one of your friends that won't call you pastor. You're training. Here's a bombshell. Take it or receive it. I'm leaving it on you. Let it, let it fall where it may. What if 2020 in your year of harvest is your year of preparation? Y'all mad? Why? Because I don't know God's timetable for your life. And watch this. You don't know it either. So what is he calling you to in, in, in all of it? Faithfulness. David's in the background. Father doesn't even bring him in. Samuel says, I'm not waiting until all your sons get here. Finally, David shows up, and Samuel anoints David to be the next king of Israel. This boy that was in obscurity is now brought to the highest position in the land because he's a God chaser, because that's God's plan for him. But while he was in the background, he learned, man, yo, God is a provider. When he's in the background, he learns, man, God is a deliverer. I had these lions roll up on my sheep, and they tried to take my sheep, and I took the sheep back, and and then they tried to take me out, and God showed up and delivered me. We also learn, he learns there, that God's worthy to be praised. So David is writing a lot of these psalms while he's in the background. He learns that God can be his identity, that he can find who he is in God. Some of you all did not have a great relationship with your father. I get that. But you are not fatherless. David would go on to write, when mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. David has this father-son relationship with God. And it sustains him and his identity and who he is. David learns how to fight in the backyard, sing in the backyard, identify his sonship in the backyard, gain his confidence in the backyard. He's been fellowshipping with God. Rodney, you talking real bold about this, David? I mean, you're talking about David like you were there. How you know he was so committed? How you know he chased God that hard? Because the Bible says, 1 Samuel 13 verse 14 says this, But now your reign will not endure, talking about Saul. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, talking about David. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people. It's God that's bragging on David. So now, when it comes time to this familiar story, you know, the the challenge with familiar stories is, is we just think we know them all. And we miss much of what God has to say. I believe there's some new things that God wants to say out of this very familiar story. Now when he gets to the battle, and everyone is fearful of Goliath and the Philistines, David, because he's been fellowshipping with Jesus, footnote, if you are fasting without fellowship, you are missing it. That's where our confidence comes from. That's where our, our power over sin comes from. Spending time with Jesus. So he gets to this battle and the people are afraid. The people are afraid. They're afraid because their Philistines are the arch enemy of Israel. It is like the Boston Celtics versus the Lakers. It, it is like Tennessee and Baltimore yesterday. It's, it's terrifying. That's their enemies. And who's running the point? This nine foot, nine inch tall giant named Goliath. He makes Shaq look like a baby. And he's fully armored, and he's talking smack, running them gums, (laughs) all at Israel, just talking big talk. And he's not just talking big talk. He has the appearance to back up what he's taught. Saul will later go on to say, yo, this dude has been trained from his youth. He is the Philistines' champion. He's talking big talk. So David asks a question in verse 26. Yo, okay, if somebody takes that guy out, what they get? Now the, the question can come off thinking, okay, is David looking for something? Is he trying, is, is David on the come up? I think it's more than that. You see, David understand that he has just been ordained to be the king of Israel. And the kings are the one that would lead the army in battle. You know who was supposed to fight Goliath? Saul. And Saul is terrified. So maybe David's thinking, the way I'm going to get to be a king is by fighting Goliath. He's he's thinking about how, but that's not his why. Good question. What's your why? Why? What, what what motivates you for the dreams that you have for 2020? What's your motivation? David is going to expose to us his motivation. Here's two things that tell us what his motivation is. Who, he says, who is going to remove the disgrace from Israel? In other words, the enemy of God has no right talking to God's people that way. You see, his motivation was to please God. Then he says this, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that shall defy defy the armies of the living God? In other words, yeah, he's nine foot nine, but he don't even know who he's talking to. Everybody else is scared. They're terrified. They're shaking in their proverbial boots. They're they're, they're nervous. David says, yo, who this did is? You see, David had a perspective that everybody else don't have. And that's why I need you to dream. I don't know about you. I just feel in my own heart, God has been stirring some stuff up. I feel like I'm experiencing even a a new birth, if you will. Not in salvation sense, but in the understanding of remembering how big my God is. And the more you delight on him, the higher your expectation raises for him to do the miraculous. As he changes your expectation, he changes your perspective. So when other people say, man, well, you just can't do that. Well, why? You can't go after that. Why? That's too big for you. Why? Now, I'm not talking about irresponsibility, right? God's given us wisdom. This is not permission to go buy something you cannot afford. That's called foolishness. We're going to dream, but we're not going to lose our natural mind in Jesus' name. But, watch this. He's still able To do exceedingly and abundantly and above all that we can ask or think. So he changes David's perspective. And here come his brothers. Now you're going to always have your distractors. For every dream, there'll be distractors. Distractors. There'll be be people that try to talk you out of what God is calling you into. Listen to the brothers. Yo, why are you even here, bro? You don't belong here. Go back and do that little thing you were doing. David was irritating their fear with his faith. Another good question. What irritates you? Many times, what irritates us is the very thing God is calling us into. And I want to encourage you: don't let people, don't let distractors take you away from what God's calling you to do. Point two: DMing Saul and Goliath. I was talking to a cat, and I was like, "Yo, bro, did you, um, did you talk to so and so?" And they were like, "Yeah, I talked to him." I'm like, "Okay." Uh, what would you say? And he told me what he said. And I was like, um, okay, well, well, what was their response? And he told me what their response was. And I said, man, well, when, when, when they said this, did you say that? He was like, um, I didn't type that in, no. I'm like, type that in? He's like, oh, yeah, we did this on, on Instagram. I said, well, I thought you said you talked to him. He's like, I did talk to him. I said, no, no, you, you just told me you did it on Instagram. I said, No, I did it on Instagram. It's to the point for this brother. He, he equates talking to typing. And I know that's the culture in which we live, so I'm not down on it. It is what it is. So in other words, in another sermon for another day, maybe 10 years ago, the text would have been calling Saul and Goliath or talking to Saul and Goliath. But today I say DMing Saul and Goliath. If you were DMing Saul and Goliath, what would you type? Let's talk first about Goliath. What is the thing that stops you from doing the thing that God's called you to do? What are giants in your life? What do you need to DM fear? If you could pull out your phone and text fear today, what would you say? Are you afraid to hit the send button on fear? If you could DM doubts today, what what would you say? If If you can talk to this fear you have that time is running out on your life, what would you say to them? If you could talk to sickness today, what would you say? What what would you say? If you could talk to an addiction today, what would you say to that addiction? If you could talk to lack, if you could talk to questioning identity, if you could talk to any of those things, what would you say? Because I told you before, the giant's talking, talking mad trash at you. What are you going to say? Now, I'm not one of these big name it, claim it, power and death is in the life of the tongue. You got to speak it. I'm not that kind of person, but you should be able to say something. Some of us who often let fear run pathways in our mind without one rebuke. Oh, beloved, when the giant comes talking trash to the people of God, we should have something to say. And when fear comes and doubt comes and insecurity comes about the things that God's calling you into, you've got to be able to say something back to that. No, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. No, God has good plans for me. No, I'm a son of God. No, I have worth and value. I have dignity. I'm his son. I am called into, listen, you got to be able to say something back. Many of us are too silent. And the enemy says, well, you ain't going to be nothing. And we say, well, you know what, I I don't think I'm going to be nothing. And we're just, instead of speakers, we are repeaters. Repeating the narrative of the enemy in our mind until we believe it. What do you say? And before you mark me over as a positive thinking motivational speaker, I want to say that this text is showing us something far bigger than the giants in your life. The giants in your life are real. You need to talk to them. You need to fight them. Dreams don't come free. You got to fight for it. You got to contend for it. It's real. But there's something bigger that this story is pointing us to. You see, in this story, Goliath is, is really more accurately a picture of sin. See, Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, is called the Son of David. This teaches us that this story is not solely about David, the yarn, it's about Jesus, the blanket. This story is really pointing us to the one that is coming after David to ultimately defeat us so as we listen to what David says I want you to see the beauty of the gospel in this fight first thing David says to, to Saul Saul is afraid he's he's not coming out listen to what David says listen to the confidence that David speak with listen to the swag that David talks with he says to Saul hey fear not here is a boy talking to a king get the picture. And the boy says, Hey, King, don't even be afraid, bro. Don't even work. Don't let your heart fail. What? David says what angels say every time they show up fear not. Last month we talked about angels showing up to the shepherds. First thing they said, Fear not. Don't be afraid. I bring good tidings of good news. In other words, what we got to do, and I said this last week, but it bears repeating, we got to drive out the fear. The second thing, the second DM that he says, he says, your servant will fight for you. Now this is, this is, come on. Come on with me. Come on, come on. Come on down. Let's, let's, let's see it again. Little young ruddy boy, no facial hair, young, scrawny, no muscles, running in. Hey, yo, king, don't even worry about it. Fear not. Don't let your heart fail. Here's why, your servant, I'm going to fight for you. You're supposed to fight, but I'm going to fight. Really? Notice what David calls himself, servant. Who's the greatest servant? Jesus. Who comes not to be served, but to serve? Jesus. Who fights for us? Jesus, when we are too afraid to fight for ourselves, who fights the battle of sin and has defeated sin once and for all on the cross? Jesus. (laughs) Beloved, if your dream is not a dream for Jesus, what you dreaming? Now David's not dreaming this this literal dream, but, 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 but can you see here in the text that what he's after is not for himself. It's for Jesus and this bigger story that Jesus is telling. And in your life and in my life, we are playing our parts in a bigger story that Jesus is telling. I had a chance this week to sit with a young man who's doing ministry out at Palm Beach State, and I've been wanting to get on that campus for many, many years now. And and, and finally, God has opened up this door for us to connect with this ministry that's already there. And I'm talking to this young man, and he brings up a name of someone we both know. And, And Luther is with me, and Luther knows the name of this person. And Luther's been doing ministry with this person for four years. And this young man on the campus tells me, Hey, this person just told me they want to start serving in ministry with me at Palm Beach State. Luther would tell you four years ago, they wouldn't spell ministry. But now, four years later, they want to be deeply involved in ministry on the college level. Well, what's happening? Little seeds of faithfulness have been planted, and now they're starting to bear fruit four years later. In other words, God is weaving a bigger story that you can't always see in the moment, but it's working out for your good in the end. You've got to be a servant. He says, your servant will fight for you. In other words, he says to Saul, I'm going to do for you What you can't do for yourself, that's the cross. That's substitutionary atonement. That is Jesus stepping in my place, doing for me what I can't do. That's the gospel. This isn't just some story, and and you're David fighting Goliath. I'm going to try really hard. No. You know you can't throw that, that slingshot that good. Come on, you ever think about that story? And David goes, and the rock hits the guy, and the guy just falls down. Come on, you know. (laughs) In the fourth grade, I got hit with a rock by my friend Justin Ghost, and he was mad at me. He is a pitcher in baseball, so he threw the rock probably 30 yards, right? Boom, hit me right in my head. I still have the scar today. I was bleeding. I was mad. I turned around and chased him, and I was going to chase him so I can fight him, but he was faster than I was, so I didn't chase him. I tried to get him later on that week. And so so he threw this rock, and the rock hit my head. And I was like, ah, oh, he got me. And I'm checking my finger, and all this blood is coming out. But listen, I ain't die. (laughs) You think David was that good? It ain't about no rock about no slingshot it's about Jesus Jesus is guiding the rock with his finger of sovereignty when you have a servant that is submitted I'll take the silliness of a smooth rock and I'll control it with my finger of sovereignty and I will place it perfectly on his head and it would sink in and he would die it's not David, it's God's plan It is the pathway God takes to get his glory. He's not enamored by what we want. He's enamored by his glory. And when our desire becomes delighting in him, we start finding our way in God's story. And he's glorified. David goes on to say, yo, Saul, don't worry, don't be afraid. Your servant, I'll fight for you. I'll be a substitute teacher on this one. Then he goes on, DM3, yo, check my resume. David starts shooting out his credentials about what he did fighting the lion, fighting the bear. I believe Jesus can shoot out his credentials, fighting the fight against sin. Credentials like, yo, you know I made all of this, right? Credentials like, you know Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Credentials like he is eternal and all-knowing and all-powerful. I'm talking about Jesus. Must I go on? Credentials like when God says, I am whoever you need me to be, I will be for you. Listen, you serve a God with a phenomenal resume. Says so you fight your battle, against sin, doubt, fear, unbelief, insignificance. Understand, you serve a mighty God, and God's going to give you victory. Amen? And finally, four things in a macho way. This is some of the most cold-blooded stuff in all Scripture, the stuff that David says. Listen to what he says to Goliath. Here's the first thing. I'm coming in his name. Now that's that's crazy. In other words, somebody come out, let's say somebody breaks in here, they got guns all over the place, they have all these different kind of guns, handguns, uh, automatic, rifles, whatever, all pointed at me. And I say, yo, I got a name. It's not any name, though. It's I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The word Lord of hosts means it's, it's the name for God that speaks to his military might over the angelical host of heaven. David, it says, I see your spears, I see your sword, I see your sheer, uh, shield, I see your gear. But, Joe, let me take you on ro- a roller whip. I'm rolling with the God of heaven, who at any point could take you out like that for any reason. That's the name that I'm coming in. It matters what name you come in and what you are planning. Don't just write your name. My son lost this device that we got him for Christmas this morning. And I said to him, Son, here's what I want you to do. He's asking me, Daddy, where's my device? Where's my device? He's coming to me. He's asking me over and over and over. I said, son, stop. <coughs> First of all, clean up your room. <coughs> if your room was cleaner, maybe you'll find it. I don't know. It was a great opportunity to get them to do some work on his room. Then I say to him, um, while you're cleaning, pray and ask the Lord to help you find the device. Oh, okay. God. He starts praying to ask the Lord <laughs> to help him find the device. We're getting ready to go out. I didn't even notice. We're getting ready to go out of the house. He's, his device is in hand. And I say to him, RJ, uh, who found your device he says zion found my device i said no he said yes no yes no yes no daddy yes zion found it here comes zion zion i did find it daddy i'm telling you the truth i found this device no i know no, i found it no you didn't i said rj what'd you pray oh yeah a prayer I, I uh pray god help me find my phone what what's in your hand my phone Zion was the instrumentation. God answered your prayer. Many times, too often, we are just doing stuff, forgetting about the sovereignty of God and how he gives you the privilege to pray and how he's been working over and over and over and over again in your life answering your prayers without getting proper credit when a situation hits your life here's a question you got to ask yourself what is God up to Man, I'm dealing with this challenge. I'm dealing with this struggle. It's not just a struggle. I need you to see further than that. What is God up to in the struggle? In the pain, what is God teaching you in the pain, in the desire, in the hope, in the best moment of my life? What is God teaching me in that moment? Why? Because he's doing stuff when we're unaware. Goliath says, I'm coming to you in his name. Then he says, and you have sinned. He says, you have mocked the armies of the Lord. And then DM3, this is the cold-blooded of them all, cold-blooded is, if that's a word, he says, "Yo, and I'm going to destroy you. Now I want to read this so you can feel it. Look at verse 46. It, It may not be on the screen. It says this, Today the Lord will hang you over to me. Today I will strike you down, remove your head and give your corpse to the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Yo, that's cold-blooded. It's one thing if I say to you, I'm going to kill you. It's another thing when I say to you exactly how I'm going to kill you. If, if 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 I'm Goliath, I'm like, "All right, bro, listen. I don't know what's going on. You too specific, bro. You too specific." You got a plan. David's confidence is not in his skill. David's confidence is in that name. And lastly, this is important. Why, 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 why? Verse 47 tells us. So that the world will know. Verse 46, I'm sorry that Israel has a God. You see, Israel's plan in this book was to get a king like every other nation. And the thing that they wanted, their dream was having a king. And when they finally got what they wanted, the same king was too afraid to fight for them. I'm so glad God can edit dreams. Because even when we ask him for the wrong stuff, he's patient enough to show us what you really wanted was not a king. What you really wanted was me the whole time. Everyone's standing. I'm done. I'm going to give you the fifth point as you stand. David had five stones. He had five stones. He had five stones. Here's your homework. I want you to jot down five things about your dream that will impact the kingdom and will impact people it's not just about you it's not just about you five things many of you already have it written down on a board somewhere in your journal somewhere it's, it's a screensaver on your phone. I don't know. Five things that you believe in God to do that will, that will impact not just you, but kingdom and people. Here's your second part of your homework. Start doing those five things now. Well, right now, I am believing God for a, a, a house because I believe my house is going to impact the kingdom. It's going to impact people. how do you want me to do that now? Start showing hospitality. Right now, I'm believing God for this business. I believe this business plan. I've written it up. It's beautiful. I'm ready to take you to the bank. I believe this business plan is really going to impact the kingdom and impact uh, people. Uh, What do I do with that? You, you, You start volunteering at some business that's already doing what you're doing and offer your services for free. Stop waiting for the full manifestation of your dream and start working towards your dream now, somebody shout now. now. To a, once I get that job, Rodney, I'm telling you that it's gonna set me up. I ain't gonna have to do. I, I, I'm, it's gonna be. It's gonna be amazing. Once I save this amount of money, it's, it's 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 gonna be amazing, Rodney. Listen, it's gonna be so much money. I'm a I'm a tithe it too. I'm serious. No, if listen, I'm, I'm struggling to pass. But if God open, I'm playing this time, Lord. This time I'm saying, I'm start giving now. Start serving now. I believe God's called me to serve in this ministry and have this platform. Start doing it now. I believe He's called me to preach the gospel. Start preaching now. I'm calling He's called me to disciple people. Start discipling people now. Start now. Now now. Luke 16:10 says this: whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. It's, it's If you're faithful with this, you're going to be faithful with that. That's how it works. Faithfulness carries. Faithfulness travels. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest in much. Luke 16, 10.